Welcome to the 50 Year Vegan series of podcasts. In this episode, Jeff is in conversation with Steve Golding, who he met when he was just four and Steve was six. Sport and music have been prominent in Jeff's life, and Steve Golding is the son of Les Golding, who was an enormous influence in the world of British athletics in the 50s and 60s and right through to the 90s. Jeff and Steve first encountered each other on the athletics track at Eaton Manor's club training ground, known as the world best in the 1950s. Well, Jeff, you remember me, Steve Golding. I think I first met you when you were about four and I was about six, so that's most of our lives, we've known each other one way or another, meeting up from time to time. But uh, you want reminiscences of the wilderness and the, the early days of Eaton Manor, well, early days as far as we were concerned. Yeah. Eaton Manor started off uh, just after the First World War and uh, they had a great sports ground in Leighton that we used to go over to. It had a running track and it had football pitches, cricket pitches. There were a place for throwing athletic implements like discus and javelin and shot put, that sort of thing. Um, in the running arena, there was sand pits, which uh, as little boys were, were quite good fun. We didn't just not run and jump into them, but uh, played in, no doubt quite a lot. But uh, the thing I uh, first re- recall about the wilderness and the athletic track there was my dad told me that uh, after the 1948 Olympics at Wembley, the track was dug up from Wembley and relayed in Leighton. So that cinder track we ran round was an Olympic track. So that, that was that was quite good for a little lad thinking, oh, I'm running on the track where all the Olympians ran. So, so that wasn't the only first uh, the athletic club that Leighton had. Um, I remember my, my dad uh, saying that they were the very first uh, track to have floodlets. So the one thing about that was that you could hold events not just sort of on summer evenings but winter evenings and uh, um, for some reason they had no problems with planning permission and things like that. I mean, the tennis club in Clayton Boys that I belong to, uh, we've been trying to get floodlit tennis courts for years and they've got a no lights policy here. So in Leighton it obviously was okay. And uh, there were public meetings, not just for top athletes, because there wasn't anywhere else where they could get it, um, but for junior athletes as well. And my dad, as the secretary of the athletic club, he used to like encouraging youngsters. And uh, that, that was, although he, he actually uh, was very high up in athletics nationally and went to Olympic Games and things like that, it was the work with the young athletes that he was really keen on. So the um, Junior floodlit meeting it was sort of one of the highlights of the year when I was young. But do, you, do you remember it at all? I mean, yeah. Freddie was in there officiating, and yeah. uh, my dad would drag everybody in. My 
cleric would come down from Canvey Island. And I remember one time he had a young Italian boy staying with him. So I, I must have been about 12 or 14 at the time. And I was supposed to look after him and uh, show him around and that sort of thing. And in, in the junior competition, they had girls as well as boys. And I remember <laughs> standing by the start of the, the 220 yard sprint for the girls. And of course, they had blocks to kneel down on and then stick their bum in the air. And he started off with the wolf whistles, <laughs> which very I was very embarrassed at because I, I was there to watch the athletics. And he, he was regarding the backsides of all these young ladies. <laughs> That's what that's an Italian for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I th- think you being uh, a little uh, shy of, of who your dad was, really. Um, he was the uh, team manager, wasn't he? For he the was England team manager and Great Britain team manager. And he went to two Olympics, to the, the Tokyo Olympics in 64 and then the Mexico Olympics in, 50, in 68. But the thing about my dad was that he'd happily accept any responsibility. He was a very good organiser. And so um, in his time, he was uh, president of the South Southern Counties Amateur Athletic Association. He was president of the Tug of War Association. He was chairman of the Amateur Athletic Association in this centenary year. Um, and all, all sorts of things he did. And of course, not paid. It's, it, was, it was all amateur in those days, with officials and athletes. And mm-hmm. Different from what it is now. I, I remember he wrote uh, Dad in to becoming uh, Secretary of the North of Thames Cross Country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's great for volunteering other people. <laughs> you know, but what I um, when I was at school, I had uh, Wilf Pache, who became yeah. internationally notorious almost as a, as a trainer and. Uh, uh, when your dad had just died, I was at a, a reunion at the school, which uh, walking through the gates, I remember I really hated, uh, but I hadn't really realised how much. But uh, the good thing about it was there were only a few good things, but Wilf Page was one of them. Uh, before I arrived, Ron Pickering was the, uh, the coach there, yeah. and then Wilf took over. And... Um, we started to talk about your dad, Wilf, and I at this reunion, and uh, people were coming up because Wilf was seemed to be the only person that they really wanted to meet in the old teachers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "No, excuse me, we're talking about a friend." And I said to him, "You know, uh, I had your dad, Les Golding, as, uh, as to train with." And I had Wilf Pace, you know, I should have done more. And he said, yeah, but in those days, that wasn't what it was about. No. It was just about the competing and the, yeah. the as you said, the amateur nature, nature yeah. of it all. And weren't generally, I mean, there were people who appeared to get a... a um, reputation for being a tad big-headed, uh, big, uh, big headed. but mm. um, 
I'm thinking of uh, one famous miler who uh, used to occasionally appear in the evening at uh, at the grounds. But uh, generally, they were just lovely. Because yeah. your, your dad would get us tickets to go to the White City for all the internationals. Yeah, and you, you go... Cool. You go around with your your program and a pen, getting all these autographs, (laughs) and they were just lovely, lovely people. Felt to me it changed in the eighties a a bit uh, when uh, you know Sebco and those people came along, but before that, uh, it was just lovely. And, And looking back on it, what? What a joy of a childhood we both had, you know, spending yeah. our time over there. Cause, well, most, uh, most Saturdays or Sundays or both, we'd be over there just... Um, yeah. You know, when we were... Before we were, I wouldn't have to compete in anything. It was just a matter yeah. of being there with um, the other athletes around yeah. us. And one of the things I remember from that time was that they had... Um, well, they were a little bit... Uh, before their time, I suppose, they had some electric vehicles. And there was a one that uh, was just like an open truck with a handle on the front, and you could sit on the front and push this handle <laughs> forward, and it would go forward, and, and you bent it to the left, and it went left, and bent it to yeah. the right, it went right. And we used to use it, load it up with all the hurdles or the other equipment from the uh-huh. storeroom, and then drive it to where they... Uh, had to be put down and uh, obviously we, when I was young I wasn't allowed to drive it but by the time we got to about 10 or 12 dad would say okay take, take the stuff over there and yeah. you could drive this electric vehicle <laughs> around the ground and uh, yeah. that was good fun well the old sorry go on they also had a, a, an electric van um, which was used to take people to uh, other places because uh, often it was quite difficult to, to get uh, uh, a dozen or more uh, athletes to, uh, to Enfield or somewhere like that. So we'd, we'd all pile in the back of this electric van and Dad was licensed to drive it, which was fine, except when you came to a hill. <laughs> and then we all had to get out and sometimes push to get this thing which was like a glorified milk float really and get it up the hill and uh, onto the um, wherever the meeting was going to be well that was, was all down to uh, the person we used to call the old man who was Major yeah. Villas um, <laughs> and he used to go round uh, the uh, that place uh, the whole grounds, which was a substantial amount of, of ground. Um, on this park in now, yes, so that's all right. Yeah, I've never been there. No, so not, not nor have I. I've never been there. No, it was interesting because I don't know if you saw, but Caroline Duffy wrote a poem. Uh, about the Olympic Park, and which was entirely about Eaton Manor, yeah. and she she highlighted the fact that um, the people who funded it uh, were bankers like uh, like uh, Major Villas, who was I believe the youngest son of the, the Earl of Jersey, wasn't he? Yeah. And he. Um, 
he and Elbert, Helbert Wag, who was yeah, uh, Schroeder Wag, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they, involved as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, he, I mean, those two, I was told, and I did visit him uh, in his office once uh, when I was a, a uh, um, city messenger for Schroders. Yeah. Uh, he. Uh, he could affect the market, apparently. Those two between them could change yeah. the stock market. And yet they gave all their money to good causes, which yeah. was, you know... Including the charitable trust. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you imagine any bankers today doing anything like that? And, and that's yeah. what Carol Ann Duffy said, you know, in, it, in the poem. You know, yeah. it's a different different world I'm afraid um, with regard to that and the old man as I remember never wore any socks and his his, his house was yeah in his house was uh, threadbare pretty much but uh, it was in- there was a lot of very decent people who were well off and were willing to um, support uh, work in the east end of London and uh, uh, the Eaton Mission, which uh, grew into Eaton Manor, uh, that, that was just one of the things they supported, but it was very successful over the years. But didn't the mission stay as well? It remained, yeah, there was... That was still there um, during the uh, 1950s and 60s. I don't know whether it's there now. Still. There was another thing I, I thought of that where Eaton Manor were a first, and you t- something you take for granted in athletics these days, and that's all weather surfaces. Now, the, the, the track always was cinder, the uh, run-ups for the long jump and the triple jump and the high jump was cinder, the pole vault, those sort of things. And in the early 1960s, I remember my dad said, oh, I've got an invitation to go to Canada. Uh, there's a manufacturer of all weather surfaces would like to uh, sell us some. And he, my dad went to Canada and then came back and put a proposal forward. And Eaton Manor had the first all weather run ups for long jump, pole vault, and high jump and the like. And uh, that made a great difference because uh, those of us that enjoyed jumping, which I was one of, uh, yeah. Yeah, have a, a, an all-weather surface and not a slippery cinder surface to run up on. It was great, but it's taken for granted now. But there had to be a first, and Eaton Manor was the first. First in many things, I think. Um, I was interested. Someone was. I was working on a, a film idea, and uh, someone uh, looked up Eaton Manor. And uh, it said, I mean, it has to be said, it was the biggest boys club in Great Britain. And uh, it, you had to go through a system of um, almost, I, th- I think it was probably very much based around public school ideas. Um, but you had to go through this system of probation in order yes. to join the club. Didn't matter who you were, if you as yes. Steve Golding and, and Leslie's son didn't make any difference. And me as, as Freddie Francis' uh, son, you know, it didn't make any, you had to turn up 
get your points on your card for three months and then you could get into the club. Yeah, and you can only join between the ages of 14 and 16. So if anybody came in to the area that, that wanted to uh, to run, and they were older than that, uh, if they'd come to London to university and that sort of thing, um, Eaton Manor couldn't happen. Yeah. And uh, it, it was only when the athletic club uh, were kicked off of the wilderness in about... Uh, because that was uh, 1967, that period was 66, 67, and we went on to Leighton Marshes. Uh, the club had a, a, quite a large number of people join who hadn't been part of the boys. Yeah, and well, I remember that as well with regard to Rodney Marsh because he was only ever allowed to guest for the club. Yeah. You know, as on the football side, and, and I think he played cricket with them as well. Yes. Well, that's the thing you have to remember. It wasn't just an athletic club, and the, the football club was very good mm. and um, had several teams in lots of different leagues. The rugby club was always very good and still is. Uh, the boxing was very oh. good. My dad was a boxer as well as an athlete. I never uh, knew that. Yeah. yeah, before the war. He was a boxer as well as an athlete, and his yeah. brother Doug was a um, very good uh, boxer. He, he, um, he was due to go to the Berlin Olympics uh, as a flyweight or a featherweight or something, but unfortunately he got injured, so he never went, but it was much of his regret. But, yeah. Well, the boxing club, was that they had uh, British champions. Well, they had Olympic champions as well. There were a couple of bro brothers, and I can't recall their name at the moment. It began with M, and someone was going to make a film about them uh, a few years back, and I, I gave some information, but I, I don't think the film ever got properly made. But yeah. they were just uh, amazing. And, and the guy, of course, one of the other things that uh, the club did, uh, during the war, the old man, Major Villers, bought some land land out at a place called Nightingale Farm in yeah. South Woodford and he built some masonettes there for yeah. people to, to live in and the, the wonderful thing about that as well was that the guys uh, never paid any more than the rates and the idea was that they could save up and move out into the local community. Yeah. And, uh, it, and his idea very much uh, was that the children of those people would get better education, which mm. proved to be true. You know, I mean, so yeah. many of us very soon, you know, in the next generation ended up going to university. And um, it was uh, it was quite, uh, quite a vision that uh, Major Villas had. And he also continued that with the Eaton Manor Trust, yeah, and the Educational Trust. Yeah. So us being little boys over there, but we were brushing shoulders with all these famous athletes and yeah. famous boxers and that sort of thing. And, and they didn't think anything of it, and we didn't at the time, you know. But well, they, looking back on it, 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 was, it was great community there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the same was true of the uh, the flats, you know. I mean, there were, I remember when I was a kid, there was grown men, well, probably in their 20s, who were knocking on the door when I was three years old saying, can Jeff come down the buttercup field and play? And yeah. that's where you learn, you yeah. learn 
you developed your uh, <laughs> athletic skills. Yeah. But that, well, I was going to say about that, um, that was that uh, when someone who was going to be the uh, director of this particular film looked us up as Eaton Manor, it said well, it was uh, a place of elite athletes. Now, none of us <laughs> ever thought of ourselves as elite no, no. athletes, but although, you know, obviously we were pretty good. I mean, I remember yeah. I ran for the London Federation of Boys Clubs at uh, Crystal Palace when I was 14 years old, I think, 14, yeah. 15 years old. It was just... Yeah. Amazing, mm. amazing stuff. But you didn't think of yourself as that, and, and no more as you have just said about you know you're rubbing shoulders with with real uh, sometimes world record beaters, um, and there was no side to anyone. No. It's great, and they would like your dad always encouraging of young people. So what? What events do you, did you do mainly? Was it was it sprints or longer? Yeah, I, I was a sprint sprinter, and uh, yeah, the furthest I went was two two twenty yards. Um, <laughs> although later, it, what was interesting was later I had this rugby injury that messed up my knee, and I uh, I couldn't go and play rugby so I used to go out and do cross-country running hmm. and uh, it just built up my stamina in a way that had yeah. never been built up before so this is just as I'm about to leave Wanstead County High so I'm 17, 18 hmm. and I hadn't competed for the school uh, since well for a you know a couple of years hmm. and then on the sports day <laughs> I hammered the the favourite uh, in the in the two twenty, and then in a, a relay leg, I flew past seriously flew past, and I think I was barefoot on green gra on grass. Uh, someone who was an English international at four forty yards, uh, and he came up afterwards. He said, well, "What have you been doing? You know, what have you been up to?" <laughs> So, but uh, those those were my unstable, but never mind. Okay, yeah, there was a bit of it. Uh, yeah. We could, I, this is so enjoyable. We can do more of this. I love it. That was Jeff Francis in conversation with Steve Golding. Part two of that conversation is available now on Fifty Year Vegan Podcast. <laughs>